Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Hey, great to see you guys this morning. What a great spirit in the presence of the Lord. Wasn't it strong this morning? I just say, sometimes you just, it just feels awesome to come together and be in God's house and to worship. You've been looking forward to that time all week long, and then what a joy to just come and lift up our voices and praise God as a church and a family. I'm glad you're here. Great to have you guys. Uh, take your Bibles out, turn to Luke chapter 4. As you know, we're in the series, The Son of God, and we are looking together at, at the life of Christ, and we're leading up to Easter. And I, I believe Easter is going to be a powerful, powerful service in the house. Please begin now to invite people to come. There will be people that will come on Easter Sunday morning. You may not see them any time the rest of the year, but they'll come Easter. In fact, in your bulletin, we got a little invite card. You can take that. Use that as an invitation tool and invite them to come out and join with us. Uh, we live in a time where things are changing fast, right? Everything's moving fast, changing fast. You can't hardly keep up with the technology. It is going crazy. Our lives are constantly changing. Our surroundings are changing. Everything around us, and sometimes it's changing so fast, we can't keep track of what's going on, and we can't keep up with it. And it's just happening all the time. And in the process, what was once vital to our livelihood has now become obsolete, right? You don't need it anymore. It's already passed away. That time has already come and gone. Let let me ask you some questions, and uh, maybe by a show of hands, you can tell me where you're at or if you remember these things. How many remember using an actual map that you unfolded and read? Yeah. (laughs) Don't need that now. You need Siri to talk to you. Turn right here, turn left here, and of course, she'll get you lost half the time. And then remember trying to fold those maps back together again? Man, that was, that was a challenge. You needed a, a, a doctorate degree to know how to fold a map back together and uh, get it right. Uh, how remem- remember the time, uh, the rotary telephones? Anybody remember those things, those dial telephones? And uh, don't do that anymore. That's great. Anybody remember a TV antenna you used to have to adjust on top of the television set? And if you were watching one channel, you'd turn it a certain way, and then if you watched another channel, you'd come and spin it around another way, and you saw the grainy snowflakes coming across your TV, but, but somehow we got it and we managed. A lot of the technologies that are even more recent are already gone. Film. Nobody's developed film anymore. Anybody take their film to get it and develop recently? That's not been that long ago that we were developing film. How about a, a VHS tape popping into your thing and watching something and, uh, and beta? I, I, I was the slow one. I, I got on the beta bandwagon, and uh, that's the one that didn't make it. So that's the, always the machine I buy is the one that doesn't survive. Uh, and, and anybody remember untangling those phone cords? You've you got to lift your phone cord up and it spins around and, and you've got to do that about every day because you've got this long cord uh, in your house or wherever you might be. Anybody floppy disk? Man, you can get these little bitty tiny things that store all kinds of information today, but we have floppy di- Cassette tapes? Uh, 
One thing you don't need anymore is an encyclopedia. Everybody had sets of encyclopedias. They're pretty much obsolete. If you want to start a fire, just take the pages out, put it in your fireplace. It's no good anymore. It just doesn't, you know. And so all those kinds of things, they're gone. But they all had a purpose in their time. They all had a function. They all had a purpose. And everyone understood what that purpose was. But somehow, everything began to change, uh, and they became obsolete. Now, here's what happens. Our lives are always changing. When you're young, it's, it's about playing. It's about having fun. It's about all those kinds of things. And then as you get a little bit older, you go to school. And so your life is changing again. And it's about learning. And it's about getting an education. And then as you get a little bit older, it becomes your focus is on getting a job. And you want to get a job so you can get ahead, right? And so it's about finding a job and work and getting ahead, and then later it becomes more about retirement and what am I going to do with the rest of my life. What is our purpose? What is our function? Why, why are we here? Why has God placed us here? It's got to be more than just getting a job and getting ahead and making it through life and making money so we can acquire more stuff. And yet a lot of people, that's all it is for them in this world. It's just about getting more things so we can buy more stuff. And it's an endless cycle that we go through of sleeping and waking and ups and downs. Uh, And I want to tell you, it is possible to live this life, uh, but with a purpose. God has called us to a purpose. He has given us a mission and a function and a reason for being uh, that's more than just acquiring stuff and surviving day by day by day, same old, same old routine. And what happens, we're going to come to this story now where Jesus Christ, in this narrative, he's going to come and burst on the scene in ministry, and he is going to reveal his purpose. Right out of the very gate, Christ is very articulate about what his mission is going to be. And I want to propose to you as Christ followers, uh, if we say Jesus is our Lord, uh, then his mission must be our mission. And so we're going to learn today not only what the mission and assignment and purpose of Jesus Christ was, uh, but what our mission and purpose and assignment in life is. And so I want you to take a look for just a moment at the following video clip. He's here! Who? Jesus! He's back at last! Lady, I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? His name is Jesus. Jesus will now read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to 
preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to declare freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Today, Jesus goes home. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth. First thing he does when he gets to Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue. And he is going to read from the scroll. Jesus is being recognized as a rabbi. So as a rabbi, as a teacher, they give him the scrolls to read. Now, now it was many scholars believed that when they opened up the scroll to read, there were set readings that were already prescribed in advance, and they would read from the Haftarah, and that was the scheduled reading for that day, that Sabbath day, inside the synagogue. But most scholars believe that Isaiah 61, which is where he read from, was not a part of the Haftarah. That was not what was supposed to be read that day. And so what Jesus does is he takes the scroll, and he Isaiah's scroll, but he opens it up, and he doesn't read from the passage he was supposed to. He picks his own scripture he picks his own text and he does that for a reason a very special reason and what he is doing is he is announcing his mission statement and he says in a nutshell i am the messiah i am the one that was anointed by god that would come and set my people free i am the anointed one of god in the old testament the word messiah meant anointed one in the New Testament, the word was Christos, meant anointed one in the Greek language. And so both of those things talk about Jesus Christ being the anointed one. And Jesus Christ plainly says, that's why I'm here. That's why I have come. This is my purpose. And you can see by the reaction, that was a very controversial claim because they had been looking for generations for the Messiah to come and for him to be there and for him to say he was the anointed one, it would set off a firestorm of controversy. I am the anointed one. 
And he also characterizes how his new kingdom is going to look and how it's going to operate in the world in which he lives. And so Jesus intends for every single one of his followers to reflect his priorities. And so if those are his priorities, if he's the anointed one, if that's his assignment, if that's his missions, if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, those who are of the anointed one, then they have got to be our priorities and our mission and our assignment as well. So I want to tell you today, you, everyone, have a mission statement. That's right there, found in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, or Luke chapter 4. This is our mission. You no longer have to wonder what your purpose is and what your reason for being is. God's told us clearly in his word. So let's take a look at it and break it down together this morning. And first of all, we've got to accept our mission. Now let's look at Luke chapter 4, and I want to read there from you. I'll just read verses 18 and 19 for time's sake. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now he's reading this, and first of all, he's announcing a couple of things. Number one, he's announcing, I am the Messiah. Because he says, today, the scripture's fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one Isaiah wrote about. And he talks about the anointing. What was that anointing? The anointing was, was uh, it meant to rub on. And what they would take is they would take oil and the servants of God would pour oil on the head of the person who was to be anointed. Uh, and it was symbolic uh, of the covering of the Holy Spirit of God over their lives. And so you see them anointing kings. Remember Samuel? And he gets Saul. And Saul's going to be the next king of Israel. And he takes that flask of oil and he pours it out over his head. And he's going to be the king. But along the way, somehow, the Spirit of God had left Saul because of his wickedness and his disobedience and his jealousies. And and he disobeyed God. And so God is going to take the anointing and he's going to place it now on David. And he says, Samuel, go take your oil. I want you to go to the house of Jesse. There you will find the next king of Israel. And so it was there he poured the oil over David's head. It's interesting. uh, Jesus Christ is of the lineage of David. So Jesus Christ, when he says, I am the anointed one, he is declaring, I am the king. I am in the line of David. And so there was an anointing that was always done for kings, which tells me Christ has all power to rule and reign and has authority in our lives because he is the king today. And then they would also anoint the priest. And when Aaron was going to be the priest of Israel, they would take the oil and they poured it over Aaron's head as well. And that was symbolic that he was going to be led and controlled by the Spirit of God. And so he was anointed for his priestly ministry. And the priests after him were always anointed with the oil. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest today. He is the one who offered the sacrifice of himself for us. Uh, He is our anointed priest. uh, And when he gave his life on the cross, he offered himself up for our sacrifice. Uh, And so I don't have to go before another man. I can come directly into the presence of God uh, through my great high priest, uh, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. They would also anoint the prophets. 
And uh, you remember the story of Elijah, how he is the prophet of God. And he was told by God to go and anoint his successor, Elisha. And so Elijah found Elisha, and he anointed him with oil. And so you see in Jesus Christ, he fulfills perfectly the anointed one, the Messiah. He is our perfect prophet, priest, and king. Jesus Christ fulfills all three offices in who he is, and he is declaring that. And what happens is when he is baptized by John in the River Jordan, remember when they brought him up out of the river and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Bible said the heavens opened up. Literally in the language it means the heavens were torn open. And the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and it remained upon him. That was God's anointing for service and ministry. And so after that event, after he's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, he now returns, come back into the synagogue, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When was his anointing? It was when he was baptized in the river by John. He's anointing me to do certain things. And so he's declaring, Jesus is declaring, I am the anointed one sent from God. Now the second thing we learn from this is simply this, about our mission. He refers to something called the year of Jubilee. The year of the Lord's favor, it may say in your translation. The year of Jubilee. Let me give you the background of this very quickly. First of all, the seventh day of the week was a day of rest. That was called the Sabbath day. And so all the Jews were forbidden from work on that day. That was their day of rest. And then every seventh year was a Sabbath year for Israel. So on the seventh year, they were not to plant in their ground. Uh, They let the ground remain fallow, and they only ate that which was left over from previous years. Uh, And so it was a year of rest for the land. But then they had something else. After seven Sabbath years, or if you do the math, 49 years, uh, the year after that was the 50th year. And the 50th year was declared a year of jubilee for Israel. It was an incredible year of celebration. Let me tell you some things that happened uh, on that year of jubilee. All the slaves were set free. If you'd bought a slave, you'd put him into bondage. Your price was determined on how many years were left coming up to the year of Jubilee. But if you bought that slave to work your fields, work in your house, do whatever, he was your slave. Uh, When that 50th year came around, all the slaves are released. They're set free. Now stay with me here. It gets good. Not only that, but all those who have been forced to sell their property to somebody else because of financial hardship or they were in a mess and they had to sell their land in times of poverty, all the land was restored to the original owners. So your property that was in your generations for years came back into your family. And and third, those who lost family members because of slavery or imprisonment, now they are all reunited with their loved ones. Now, what God is saying is, he is saying, I am God. Never lose sight of the fact that everybody in Israel, they are your brothers and your sisters, and they owe their very life to God himself. God sets us free. Him whom the Son sets free is free indeed, John tells us. 
And when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are set free from your bondage to sin. And everything I have belongs to God, and it all goes back to him, and it's all his. It is the reclamation of property and possessions and and my life itself. I'm free in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus, when he says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Jesus is saying, Jubilee has now come in me. So in other words, you don't have to wait 50 more years. It's here because I'm here. And everything that that year of Jubilee pointed to, Jesus Christ is saying, it is fulfilled now in me. And then he describes what happened. It it brings good news to the poor. Why? Because all your land's coming back. This is good news to the poor. Uh, It it is the year of Jubilee was an incredible year of celebration. And now Christ has come uh, and the oil of gladness is about to be poured out uh, because of his presence in our lives. Uh, Jesus sets us free from our slavery to sin. Uh, He redeems uh, all of our debt and all that we have lost. God restores it back unto himself uh, and God provides a perfect rest. Because in Christ Jesus, he says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is my jubilee. He came to bring broken families back together again. He can heal your home. He can heal your family. He can heal your brokenness. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come. He came to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal the hurting. He came to free the slaves and open up their doors of darkness. I want to tell you, listen, if you are bound this morning, Christ has come and he can set you free. He can break that addiction of alcohol in your life. Uh, He can break that addiction of cocaine in your life. Uh, He can break the addiction of pornography in your life. Uh, You're a prisoner. You're captive. You can't help yourself. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ has come. That year has come. Not just every 50 years. Every year. Every day. Every hour. Because he's come. Set the captives free, heal the brokenhearted, forgive the guilty, bring deliverance, relief, and joy, jubilee. Hallelujah. All right, you listen, listen to me. Our assignment as children of God is not just to come on Sunday morning and take a couple hours out and fill a seat in the church. Our assignment is to bring joy and healing and life to the world around us. To proclaim that Jubilee's come. That you don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to remain in your sin. It can be taken away. You can be cleansed. Your life doesn't have to be broken anymore. Christ came to put it back together again. And that's our mission. That's our assignment. Except the assignment. Number two, the second thing that we're called upon to do is to adopt the method. Adopt the method. You know, it's interesting. If Christ is just going to announce his Messiahship, there's any number of scriptures he could have chosen to read. There were several scriptures in the Old Testament that talked about the day when the Messiah would come, that, would, that announced the coming of the anointed one. Let me read a couple to you. Isaiah 63, verse 1. He could have read that one. It says there, who is coming from Edom, from Basra, 
with his garments stained crimson. That's, that's a great reference to what Christ's sacrifice would be. Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. He could have read that verse and said, I'm here, the Messiah's here, I'm mighty to save. You wonder why he didn't choose that one. But let's read another one. Isaiah 42, verse 1. I want you to think with me here. Isaiah 42, 1 and 4. Here is my servant whom I upheld, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. That would have been a great verse to read. He would bring justice to the nations. Verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. That's a great messianic passage. He could have read that one. Why did he choose Isaiah 61? Because Isaiah 61, in his mission statement, he is making it clear that people are his priority. It wasn't just about his title as Messiah. It's about what Messiah would do for us. And so his mission is always others. Jesus Christ came to seek and save those who are lost. His mission has always been you, and it's always been me, and it's always been us. And so that's why he chose Isaiah 61. He chose a passage about sharing the good news, about proclaiming freedom, about bringing healing, about releasing prisoners, about compassionately reaching out and meeting the needs of other people. That's the Spirit of Christ. Isaiah 42, verse 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. No matter how broken and bruised and damaged you may feel today, uh, he will not cast you out. He will not break you. He wants to bring wholeness. The Jews knew. They knew from God's word that God had called the Jewish nation to be a light to the Gentiles. Right? That was their mission. That was their assignment. They were to be a, a light to the Gentiles. The only trouble is the Jews didn't like Gentiles. So they weren't very good lights. They didn't like the Samaritans. Couldn't stand the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. There was a lot of prejudice going on between Jews and Samaritans. They certainly didn't like Samaritans. They didn't like the Romans. They were their oppressors. They hated the Rome. They chafed under the bondage of the Roman Empire. They didn't, they didn't like Romans very well. They didn't like tax collectors. We looked at a tax collector last week. They were despised and rejected. They were pawns in the hands of the Roman government. They didn't like those. They they, they didn't much like women. I mean, I want to tell you, ladies, you've got it great today. You may feel like there's this whole class system back then. But Jesus did. He says, I'm here. And I've got enough grace to go around. And not only the Jew, but the Gentile alike. And Romans, and tax collectors, and prostitutes, uh, and sinners, uh, and ladies. Uh, He excludes nobody. They're all welcome in to the family of God. He spreads jubilee wherever he goes. Because that day has come. And so what is Jesus' method? His method is love. His assignment is people. His method is love. And so God calls upon us to love people, to love them, to reach them where they're at, 
not ridicule. That wasn't going to be the weapon of choice. It, it's not politics. God wasn't going to change the world through a political system. It wasn't politics. It, it wasn't protest. It wasn't launching marches to say, I'm here. It was love. And he said, your assignment's the same. Spread healing. Spread hope. Spread joy. Spread jubilee everywhere you go. That's our assignment. So we accept his mission. His mission is people. We, we adopt his method. His method is love. And number three, we've got to apply the measurement. What is the measurement? How do we know we're doing the stuff that God asks us to do? Well, he does that. And I want you to turn forward a couple of chapters. Go to Luke 7. Very interesting passage. Luke chapter 7 and verse 18. Now, John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. And so these guys are close. And uh, he, he launches the ministry of Jesus Christ. He announces his coming. He prepares the way for the Messiah to come. And now... Now, when, when John cries out against sin, he's thrown into prison. And really, he's awaiting his execution. And it says in John 7, verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come? He said, Are you the Messiah? Are you really the one we've been waiting for and looking for? Or should we expect someone else? In other words, John is questioning himself. He's in a prison cell, and he's really wondering, did I get it right? Or or did I miss it? Because if I got it right, what am I doing in jail? Right? You ever felt like that? If you came to set the prisoner free, why am I in prison? Maybe you're not the Messiah. Maybe you're not the one we were to look for. You see his dilemma. When the men came to Jesus, they, asked, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The the good news is preached to the poor. It sounds to me like Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61 again. Now listen to me. I don't know if John was there in the synagogue in Nazareth when Jesus came in. I don't know if he was in the audience, standing in the background, just kind of watching what was going on when, when Jesus Christ took those scrolls and he opened it up and began to read from Isaiah 61. I don't know if John was in the house or not that day. I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us, and, and we just simply do not know. But Jesus says, you know what? The measure of the Messiah is in the stuff. And look what's happening. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. It is Isaiah 61 all over again. He says, I'm doing the stuff. So you didn't miss it, John. You got it right. Great news. You got it right. I want to tell you, sometimes you wonder why when you're in a prison or you're going through tragedy, you're facing loss, 
You're sick in your body. You ever, you ever, wonder, you ever get a little frustrated? And you look around, everybody else is being healed. They're all healthy. God's blessing them. They got money in the checking account. You don't. And when we internalize it, it, it becomes hard, and, and, and we, we, we doubt, and, and these things invade our mind. If they happen to John, who is called the greatest in the kingdom up till that time, it happens to us. And we feel this, and we know this, and we don't understand, and, 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 we, and it's kind of like, why me, God? But it doesn't change who God is. We can't measure the greatness uh, of the great I am by my circumstance at the moment. Uh, I don't know what God is doing in my life. I don't know what he's working out. I don't know the discipline I'm undergoing under the hand of God so he can get me to listen to him and focus on him and get me back on the right course. I don't know what God is using and how God is ordering every step that I go through, uh, but it doesn't change the fact uh, that he is still the great I am God. He is still the Messiah. Blind eyes are still being opened every day. Uh, demons are still being cast out. Uh, God is still saving by his grace uh, and taking people and plucking them out of a life of sin uh, and lostness and bringing them into the family of God. It doesn't change who God is. Uh, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one uh, sent from God. <coughs> yeah, just go to, go to Psalm 133. I, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping right here a little bit, but I want to I hit this. I'm the anointed one, the anointing, the anointing. We use that word very, sometimes I think flippantly, in charismatic circles. We describe the anointing as if the preacher kicks his leg a certain way. Boy, he was really anointed today. I remember when I first came to the church, boy, it was a smaller, lot smaller than it is now. And, uh, and uh, they, 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 uh, if I had any kind of emotion going at all, boy, you're really anointed today. Anointing is not emotion. I can do this. Doesn't mean I'm anointed. Just means I'm exercising. It, it really gets, gets kind of crazy. The, the mark of the anointing is not kicking your leg or shouting at just right the moment or, or crying on cue. That's not the anointing. The anointing is setting the captive free, opening blind eyes, casting out devils. That's the anointing. That's, that's anointing. But look at what he says. I, I, the anointing was, was the oil. It was the image of oil was a shadow of what was to come. They, 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 when they would anoint the prophet, the priest, or the king, it was that oil that would come over their head. They were literally, in a sense, they were covered in the oil, and it was symbolic. It was a foreshadow of our being covered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so, in Psalm 133, he says, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. When my church is one, when they're united, when they're a family. He said, it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard. Running down Aaron's beard. Here's he's drawing us back to Aaron's anointing in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle. Down upon the collar of his robes. Now his language is very, very clear. Now, the New Testament declares very clearly that Christ is the head of the church. 
and we are the body of Christ. So the anointing oil that flowed over the head of Jesus Christ, that anointing of the Holy Spirit of God was never meant to stop there. It wasn't meant to remain with Jesus alone. In fact, he told his disciples, you know what, if I'm going away, I'm going to go back to my Father. I'm going to send back to you the Holy Spirit. And greater works that I have done, you shall do. We're to do the same stuff that Jesus did. And so the oil never meant to lodge in your skin his scalp. It was to move on down to the beard, down through the garments, down over the entire body of Christ until it's dripping all the way down off the bottom of those robes uh, so the rest of the world may know that God loves them. God cares about them. How do we measure our success? Listen to me, church, and, I, and, and, and this is for me. I'm preaching to me, too, and I'm not trying to get on to anybody today. But how do we measure our success? It's not by how many times I attend church, how many chapters I read today in the Bible, or what position I occupy in ministry leadership. The real measure is the fulfillment of our mission Am I spreading hope? Am I spreading joy? Am I spreading healing? And I be, am I declaring jubilee to this world? Are my friends and my family discovering the joy in Christ Jesus that I have discovered? That is the measure of the anointing. That's the measurement of my mission. Am I living, loving people closer to God? Am I just loving people closer to God? Has someone's life been changed because I'm in their life in some way? Can I say, look at the fruit. Are people's eyes being opened to spiritual reality? Are people finding new life in Christ? That's why we're here. It was Jesus' mission. It's our mission today. It's described Laid out beautifully in Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4. Now listen, we're going to pray this morning. We're going to seek God today. If, if someone at any point has to go, listen, we'll love you. Come back next week, I understand. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I just feel like God wants to do something very special and very unique to this morning. And so we're going to do it in a couple of different ways. First of all, a call to salvation. You may be here this morning and you're still bound by sin. You're still lost. Now, because I said we're wrapping it up, don't tune me out here. I know Bibles are shutting, iPads are going off, notes are no, no longer being clicked. There may be some here, there may be several here who have not experienced jubilee for themselves. They've not accepted the grace of God they're lost in their sins. They don't know Jesus today. He said the day of Jubilee has come. You don't have to wait three years, five years, ten years until that 50th year rolls around again. Christ has come. 
so he can save you right now, today, in this service. He can set you free right now, today, in this service. He can take every sin away that you've ever done right now, today, in this service. Jubilee has come, and you can know the joy of the Lord and the peace that passes all understanding and have eternal life coursing through your body. Eternity in you. Hallelujah. And so in a moment... We're going to open up these altars. And I tell you what, this altar right here, this is going to be Jubilee. This is going to be the altar for you receiving Christ in your heart and life today. Okay? Right there. And you're going to be set free this morning. And Christ will come into your life. And you'll come down here a man lost in sin. And you'll leave a person who has been set free by Jesus Christ in the family of God, a child of God, knowing God. Okay, this altar, this altar. We're going to do it right here, this altar. And then, Jubilee. Now think about it. Open blind eyes. Isn't that incredible? He can heal your body. Blindness. I, I love, I, Jesus was an ophthalmologist. He was healing, opening up blind eyes. He did it a lot. Pretty cool stuff. Making the lame to walk again. Uh, he specialized in, in, in bone reconstruction. He didn't have to use cast to do it. He just said, be healed. And they could walk again. Power and strength would come into their legs. They'd get up and they'd carry their mat that, that had carried them. He specialized in that kind of stuff. And I know there, there's, there's spiritual analogies. God wants to open your spiritual eyes and all those kind of things. But listen, he can heal your body today. And what we'll do is we'll anoint with oil, symbolic of the presence of the Spirit of God. And we'll pray the prayer of faith. And our faith will unite with your faith. And we believe God's going to heal you. Now listen to me. He also said, I'll heal the sick. But I'll also set the prison. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.